speaking of hope and optimism, I, I want to talk a little bit more about your bread and butter, which is the football side of things, uh, specifically about 2020 and what makes you really most excited about it. But also, um, tell us a little bit about that, that Twitter thread you put online today uh, about the football update, ro updated roster, because uh, I'm intrigued to hear some of those updates were a little surprising of what you uh, kind of posted. So, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm super weird because I love to keep up with the roster and they do a terrible job of keeping up with it. I, I'm not going to lie. Uh, they should, they I, should hire me. I would do a great job of keeping up with I mean, it's unbelievable. Roster, I, I get so of... frustrated because I'm like, Jesus Christ, man, it's been like six months. Like, all the players are here. Can we get an update? Whatever. And sometimes the information is not correct, which, again, apparently Desmond Tell was listed at 6'5 this morning. He's now listed at 6'1". So, he yeah, like so that wasn't right. So, texting conversations is me asking you about a particular player and you saying, I swear to God, if they don't update the roster, <laughs> reflect it about the question I ask. I get frustrated, man, because, I mean, I, I utilize that stuff for when I'm writing, obviously, because I'm writing about, you know, I, especially the opponents, because I need to, you know, I'm trying to make sure people know that this guy's that, this guy's this, whatever. So, um, but no, the, the Rosh this morning got updated. A lot of uh, some interesting stuff that they did get posted. A lot of guys are bulked up, which is something that I know that even we talked about last, last probably about a year ago, talking about how the new staff and how they like to have their players and what, kind of height, weight, things like that. So um, they're a little bit bigger on the offensive line. Uh, you know, Chand uh, Caleb Chandler's beefed up a little bit. Uh, uh, Cole Bentley and Robbie Bell, all guys are around the 300-pound mark, which they had gotten those guys a little bit under that last year. Um, as we all know, with that, you know, zone offense they run on, on, on uh, with Louisville now, with Dwayne Leffert, you need guys that are mobile. You need guys that are quick and get out in space. So, uh, getting lighter guys is always important, and that's what they're kind of recruiting towards. And now, though, once you're there, they can mold those guys into what they want to be from a size standpoint. So those guys are are, are getting a little bit more weight. Uh, guys like Jared Gowire are up above 300 pounds on defense, which is something that flat out G.G. Robinson just flat out said last year, like, yeah, 300 pounds is kind of a – it's hard to be that weight in playing this defense. But Gowire is 6'6". Um, 300 pounds is like 280, 290 for most guys. So – um, but you see some of those younger guys that are that are bulked up. This is good. Zach Edwards is is at two sixty five. Uh, he's got to play linebacker, uh, and they moved him last year. So uh, you've got him at two sixty five. Jared Boykins about uh, Jadarian Boykins. Sorry, is at two fifty. Uh, you've got some of those defensive linemen that are putting on weight. Uh, that's a good weight, and they're going to be able to play in that two sixty range, uh, which is kind of where they want people because they want those guys to be able to move well. Um, all the linebackers are – almost all of the linebackers are actually 230 pounds even. So, I would guess that there's a little bit of fluctuation there. But right around the weight that they want most of those guys to, um, a guy that I think that's going to maybe potentially get some more playing time this year that's lost weight, uh, Robert Hicks at 235. So, been a guy that's been too big. It's kind of the reason why they put him at defensive line. They moved him back to linebacker. He's, back, he's down a little bit. It's all about speed. That's what they're really all about, especially on defense. And when you have guys that are losing weight like that, you know they're going to be in the shape that you want them to be. Um, weight is not really always – doesn't really translate to strength. So losing that weight typically gets you a little bit lighter, a little bit lighter on your feet. Uh, and, and they should still be able to have that functional strength that we want them to see to be able to fight off blocks and whatnot. So that's definitely good. Um, and then the freshman that came in, a lot of those guys have already packed on pounds. Lovey Jenkins is up to 195 pounds. I mean, he's going to be able to play. He has to play. Uh, and with those freshmen that are coming in, 
literally across the board. Uh, there aren't too many guys on the defense side of the ball that aren't going to see the field. So if they can, those guys are coming in, putting on 20 pounds, 30 pounds, Cam Wilson's up to 220 pounds. Uh, those guys, if they can do that in a couple of months, they were here in the spring um, before they went home, come back, still be in that range. That's definitely great to see because, like I said, they don't have the depth that they want yet. So those guys are going to have to see the field and, and look at a guy like Josh Minkins, who's coming in at 179 pounds. By the time the season starts, he's going to be over 200 pounds and that's going to give him the opportunity to play. You're not going to be able to play power five football as thin as he was in high school. Uh, it's one of the things that stood out when you watched him as a, watched his film is that he was kind of real thin. Well, they're going to be able to work on those guys and get them up to the, per the weight they want them to be. Um, and they should be able to play those guys, which is really a, a huge positive. So, uh, and then another big thing, it was kind of announced earlier, he put it on Twitter, Ian Pfeiffer got a six-year of eligibility. Uh, so he'll be back at that starting tight end role, um, which is big because they still haven't replenished that spot from the roster issues they had when they took over. So being able to have a guy that comes in, former offensive lineman, we saw how well he played as a blocker, caught a couple touchdowns last year. Um, that's a big plus because that was, that was a spot you're going to have to play a guy like either Des Milton, who's a – you know, running back in high school, still learning the position. Uh, you're going to have to play, um, maybe move Marshawn Ford around a little bit, which they did at App State. They moved their tight ends back and forth, uh, which takes away from where he really excels. So now you can go back to what you did last year in those really important roles as blockers and, and pass catchers. And that's going to be something that little, it's, it's, a, it's a small thing that really, as a, when the season hits, we'll notice how big of a deal it is when you have that guy back, even though he doesn't make a – he doesn't show up in the stat sheet all the time. Yeah, Mike, based off of Keith's information on height and weight, how many wins is Louisville going to have in football this year? <laughs> <laughs> I love those questions. Um, that's, that's a total awesome. Mike Rutherford question right it there. Is, that, I learned that from you, man. I got to give you all credit for that. It when sounds a like kid. a nine-and-three nine record with a, I think, 41-27 win over Kentucky to wrap it up. That's, that's what I got out of that whole thing. <laughs> right, exactly. Analysis, man. Yeah. I'm, no, I'm yeah. just going to tell people like I'm I'm not five seven. I'm actually five eleven. But the county clerk hasn't updated their online record, yet, <laughs> and it just doesn't reflect it. So we're just still waiting on that. In. You want to see me nerd out? Ask me about the roster. <laughs> yeah, we just, yeah, I knew, I knew just exactly where to go. Like I knew exactly oh, yeah, where to get go. Get my skin, man. Yeah, well, it's, that's great stuff, Keith. That's the kind of that, that's the kind of stuff that your your fan base and your followers is waiting for. They are like, man, is Keith tweeting about height and weight today? Because that's what I'm here for. Mike, let me ask you this though: Are you are you buying the hype for 2020 for football? As far as like Louisville being a fringe top 25 team, yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I think that if you're trying to say that they're not worthy of the hype, I guess you look at the schedule last year and say. They played one tough team in the ACC and everybody else, uh, you know, their non-conference schedule had one tough game in Notre Dame. They got blown out by a pretty good Kentucky team. And then the ACC was basically a coin flip every time out. Uh, I, I, the ACC is kind of going to be a coin flip again every time out this year. Uh, I think Clemson, it's Clemson and everybody else for the billionth year in a row. And the non-conference schedule shakes out to be pretty much on par with the way it was a year ago. I think Kentucky's going to be down a little bit and you get them at home. Um, the conference, the ACC, I think it, it can't be as weak as it was a year ago. It's going to have to be at least a little bit stronger um, after Clemson. But at the same time, like Louisville returns key pieces at the most important positions on the field. They've got a uh, established quarterback, which was my biggest question mark from last year. When people were saying, you know, I think they can win six games. I think they can go to a bowl game. My biggest thing was 
they, got, they don't have a quarterback. Like, I, I didn't think Juwan Pass was the right guy for the job. He actually, I thought, played well the first two weeks. Uh, and then Conley and Cunningham were both very solid for the, the other 10 games of the year. And now you've got Mikel coming back. You've got depth in that position as well. You've got an established running back in JV and Hawkins and guys behind him who I think could tote the rock as well. Um, and I think Louisville playing as well as they did last year even after Makai Becton wasn't playing. I think they beat Virginia without him. They won the bowl game without him. I think that was a big confidence booster to all those guys that are coming back because, look, Becton was one of the best offensive linemen in the entire country, and they were able to do what they wanted to offensively almost as well without him as they did with him. And I think that that's a big thing going into next year. Um, you've got lethal threats at the wide receiver position. You've got guys who can block at the tight end spot and catch the ball at the tight end spot. Um, everybody knows the defensive weaknesses. I don't think it's going to be as bad as it was a year ago. So, uh, again, long-winded way of answering your question. Yeah, like I'm buying Louisville as a, you know, somewhere in that 20 to 30 range right now going into the season. In your opinion, if Louisville is going to go and win the 10 games, right, that's where I think ESPN's FPI had them at, uh, in your opinion, can, can, first of all, can they do that? Can they get to 10? Can they get to 11? And if not, uh, and maybe I shouldn't say if not, but do you, or do you worry about maybe some regression, right? One of the things I've heard, it's really interesting, and I've, I've learned to take Eric Wood, what he says, very literally, because he was one of the first ones who said, yeah, I watched Juwan pass at practice, and I'm not that impressed, right? He was right on that. He said some other things in 2018 about that team. This year he said, uh, you have to worry about depth this team lost 25 players a year and a half ago, you know, once the new staff stepped in and I worry about them being able to continue to step forward without that depth. Do you, do you think they can get to 11, right? Is that too extreme? And is it too extreme to say that they, they might drop back to six or seven wins or, you know, six or even five wins. First of all, I think everybody who watched Juwan pass at practice came away with the exact same. The guy must be the worst practice player of all time. Cause I've never heard more practice <laughs> stories from people over the last three years Everybody's like, oh, my God, this guy sucks. Like, and then he'd come out there, and he was fine like, during the games. But everybody who saw him at practice would have be like, hey, man, was at practice today? Jawan Pass couldn't throw the ball seven yards. I'm like, what is going on with Jawan Pass at practice? But um, can they win 11 games? Probably not. I mean, you look at the schedule, and I know Keith has – Keith has, this, I think, poised to beat Notre Dame. He's been touting that one for a long time. But Same. I'm right there with you. I'm right there with yeah, you. That game, Mike. Mike, if that game was week eight or week nine of the season, it's a completely different ball game because Jawan Pass, as, as good as he was in that game, comparative to what we had seen, he was still really not good because he threw the ball into the dirt more times than I could count. He, he still took sacks when he shouldn't have. That game is in week nine, and you have Mikhail and Javian and Tutu clicking. That's a completely different ball game, in my opinion. Like I see No, I, I understand the optimism, but I, I think if you're – an outsider looking at the schedule, you look at Clemson, you look at Notre Dame, and those are the only two games that you circle and say, you know, not no way that they win it, but you're probably up against it in those two games. Every other game on that schedule is, I think what you, you referenced the FBI, I think the FBI has us um, favored in all of those games in the other 10 games on the schedule. So can they get to 11? I guess, theoretically, yeah, I, I think that that's probably asking a lot. My biggest concern isn't necessarily regression. It's kind of the whole surprise factor that we had working to our advantage last year, especially in conference play, not like the books kind of out on Scott Satterfield. Now, not that people didn't have Appalachian state film before last year, but it's a different animal when you've got the type of athletes that Louisville has running that app state offense that they'd seen on, on film 
getting ready for last season. And I think that there was an element of surprise last year, especially once Louisville got into conference play. And sometimes it worked to our advantage and sometimes it didn't uh, really do all that much. Now the book's kind of out. I, I think you're going to have teams that are more prepared for not just the Louisville offense, but who are more prepared for Mikel Cunningham and what he does so well uh, in particular. And that's the only thing that's a little bit concerning to me is you don't have – that kind of was our ace in the hole last year. It was, it was a, a nice little advantage that we had every single week in our back pocket, and now that's kind of out the window a little bit. Well, I think the big thing with, with the potential of getting to that 10 wins – like 10 wins, you know, and I remember I, me and Mike were on radio, and I, I told them this. I said, I don't, I don't think you can call someone crazy to think, hey, they can get to 10 wins. You know, I don't necessarily – I'm not saying, hey, I think they get to 10 wins. But if someone were to say, hey, I think they're going to get there, I wouldn't – you know, be like, yeah, I can at least envision that. Uh, I have a harder time believing that they'll regress. And part of that is because I'm and, – and this is just me maybe buying into the coaching staff more um, than maybe some. But I do think that, especially on offense, we're going to see more things, I think – I, when Dwayne Lefford just flat out says, hey, yeah, the offense was vanilla, I'm sitting back and I'm like, you know what? You look at, you know, the NC, NC State offense when he was there, even though he wasn't the coordinator, they did a lot more than what Louisville did from a misdirection, trickeration, kind of keeping you off balance stuff. And then I, I've, I've watched every App State game, and, and I did that last summer kind of preparing for the season, and there was a lot of stuff there that we just didn't see last year. Uh, so I still think there's, a, there's room to grow there. Uh, and I do on defense, you know, and, I, and I've been telling this, I think they're going to be better up front and they're going to be able to do uh, more things because they just didn't have the guys last year. So now you bring in guys like Boykin and you bring in Edwards, you bring in Diaby, and now you have more options when it comes to the, to the, to the big plays, which is the third downs, the passing situations where they were so hit and miss. And now you have the potential of maybe rushing the passer better and if they can stop the run better, which we know was a huge issue last year, uh, now the defense can take that step forward. And if they can take a step, which doesn't have to be a leap, it just needs to be a step forward, and the offense takes a step, you're looking at potentially the same kind of season. Uh, and maybe they do, you know, like I said, I feel like they're going to beat a Notre Dame. Uh, and I feel like, you know, Florida State's maybe in a transition year with their new coach. Well, really at that point, you're looking at winning the games you won last year um, and then potentially having that Notre, that, that uh, Virginia Tech game as the one that's like, okay, what can they do there? Uh, because Clemson, yeah, I don't see them being Clemson. Um, and, you know, you have the, the rest of the schedule is kind of – you can kind of make some of those games a toss-up if, you, if you're in my boat thinking that they're going to beat Notre Dame. So uh, I can see them going to getting the 10 wins. I don't really see 11 unless you're counting, you know, potentially a bowl game or whatever it may be. But – I have a hard time thinking that they're going to regress um, to the point where they're down to five or six wins uh, because that's, that's some losses that would really, it would really make you question uh, with a better roster uh, overall, how are they losing more games? Because I don't think that the rest of the ACC is going to take the step forward that I think Louisville should take forward, if that makes sense. I also wonder how much crowd, oh, my bad. Every time, Presley. You're ridiculous. Son of a gun. I even texted you and said I'm going next. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I don't even check my phone. No. 
Uh, I was just going to say, I wonder how much crowd noise Clemson's going to pump in this year with only like half capacity. That was going <laughs> right, to be yeah, my only comment. Who, who, meets at, yeah, who meets at the paw after the game if there's no fans? Is it just the players or do the fans show up for just that part of it? Like, how does that work? So they're many questions about spirit. what they're happens. Gonna be there, they're going to be there in spirit, man. I mean, that's what's all that matters. <laughs> Dabo's, Dabo's going to bring the spirit to the paw. Yeah. <laughs> Is that a thing? Do they do that? <laughs> I've, I've heard i've heard a time or two that they have a tendency Fearless, after the yeah. games i don't know i don't know there's, hey, there's a rumor Field, that's yeah. out there it's weird weird super weird super weird. <laughs> but i was just gonna say it, it's gonna be the weirdest dynamic ever we're gonna have this this continued like dumb american thing going on where we're gonna have you know whatever the limit ends up being so you're gonna have five ten thousand people um at, at a clemson football game and then you're gonna have a hundred thousand people probably tailgating right outside the stadium um, so it, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be a weird dynamic though. And I, I think if there's, there's one year that, that Louisville football, I, you never want this to happen, but if there's one year that it's beneficial year that they have to travel to Clemson and you know, they're on the rise and the year that they have to travel to Notre Dame, there, you know, there's, you know, could be worse things that happen. It's going to be weird playing Virginia tech on COVID Halloween, but like they, there's there, it's a weird dynamic to, to, to talk about. But the one thing I, I the one question I did have for you guys was, um, what what will it take from Scott Satterfield um, to for you guys to just say, you know, let's hand him a blank check and and you know allow him to kind of decide his own fate? Um, it, it, would it take ten wins this season, um, or are you guys sold on, on on what he is selling right now? First of all, Clemson fans aren't staying out of that stadium. Like, they, there's nothing. You, like, there's going to be. It's not going to be me at the poll. They're going to be having like straight intercourse at the poll after games. Like they don't, they, they don't care. It's it, they're going to be there. They're getting in there. They're just going to be making out in the stands. They'll be spitting each other's faces. Uh, it's Clemson's what they do. Um, but as far as if if, they, if we go ten and two this year, yeah, blank check. Especially with the way that recruiting is going right now, and uh, certainly Keith can attest to this better than I can. It looks like we have a chance to finish with the best class that we've ever, ha ever had. And I know some people um, look down on the, the rankings and, and don't put a whole lot of stock into it. But still, if Louisville was able to have uh, a top 25 or even a top 25-ish class this year, I think it would put to bed all the, you know, this guy's never coached at a Power 5 level. How can he recruit at a Power 5 level? All that sort of concern. We know he can coach. We know the X's and O's are um, among the elite of the elite. So if Louisville was able to go 10-2 and two this year and pull in the type of recruiting class that it looks like we are, then yeah, I think you, you throw the checkbook at the guy and say, uh, name your price. I will be curious to see if we see Vince Tyree. I, I know that Tom Jurich has gotten a lot of shit for the, the, a lot of the contracts that he did here, especially in hindsight. But one of the things that I thought he was really good at when he was here was if it, if it looked like the writing was on the wall, that you've got a keeper, it didn't matter what the record was. It didn't matter what the, the team had just done the week before. He was going to make sure that that extension happened in the middle of the season. He did it with Charlie Strong in year two. Um, that maybe kept him here a year longer than it would have otherwise. If Louisville gets off to a hot start, let's say that we're competitive with Clemson in week two and we're, you know, four and one, five and one at the middle point of the season, I would be 100% fine with extending Scott Satterfield in that situation. I think you've got to make sure. And it's not for, I don't think he's jumping ship regardless of the situation after the season. I don't think he's going anywhere after year two or year three. But if you want him to be a guy that's here and having success year five, year six, where hopefully we're, you know, competing with Clemson for Atlantic division titles. And we're not just flirting with the top 25, but we're flirting with the top 10, you know, we're dreaming the biggest of dreams. You've got to sign him. I think as soon as you possibly can let him know that you have, you are committing more to him than you probably should than other schools across the country would be in that exact same situation. 
Uh, I can't agree enough with the getting him that contract halfway through the season because I think that if you're if you end up at ten and two, uh, you're potentially maybe getting a little bit of a discount if you get him halfway through the season. I mean, you know, he's got a he's got you know Jimmy Sexton is his agent. We're gonna have to pay him a lot of money, which I I don't care. I I think that he's worth it if you can get that ten and two kind of thing. Because here's the thing: if you're looking at Louisville at a ten win program. Uh, even if they're losing the Clemson every year, they still have the potential of making a New Year's Six Bowl, uh, even if you're losing the Clemson. And to me, that's the that's the higher level of like where they should be, I guess, is where they're competing to get in New Year's Six Bowls every, you know, every other year or so. Um, and then, like you said, you're talking about, you know, getting to the point where, hey, maybe they are competing better with Clemson and maybe knocking out Clemson. Clemson is, is a very good program, but Clemson every year has those scare games, everyone. So why can't Louisville be the team that scares them every year? Because really, those scare games, it goes either way. Clemson just has the horseshoe action. I mean, they just seem to always come out on the, on the, on the right end. I mean, last year, they should have lost to North Carolina. They just, it, just, it just works out some way for them. Uh, so that game there's still no reason makes me why mad, Louisville man. can't be there. So that's that to me is where they should be or where they could be, and if you can get that, I, that, I mean, you got to give him whatever you, whatever he wants. And on top of that, one thing I've heard from Vince Sire that's been great is that he's talked about making sure he's taking care of the assistants. Yeah, because I was just about to say that. Yeah, Satterfield is great. I, I'm a big fan of what he does. I, I think his X's and O's are great, uh, but his staff is really, really, really good. Um, down to the to the guys, Cameron Teague wrote about Pete Thomas the other day and the quality coaches. Those guys are going to be coordinators at some point, whether it be bench strength, where if, if Leffer does leave and he says, hey, I, I can just go ahead and put, you know, Pete Thomas in that role or go back and get Nick Cardwell back from App State who left and got the offense uh, or the offensive line jo- job down there. He's going to be able to bring in good coaches, but the guys he has right now, we've seen him on the recruiting trail. And I think they develop players really well. That's what they did at App State really well. So um, I think that's that's it's more than just the wins and losses. He's kind of the complete package as a coach. And if you can get that, and even if it fluctuates between the eight wins to ten wins range, I'd take that over being NC State where, you know, they're going way up and down uh, instead of being able to at least be steady at the top of the, the division. I think if Louisville can maintain that second to third spot in the division, whether it be, you know, floating around with Florida State, I, I would think that most fans, most Louisville fans coming into the ACC and seeing even the first five years in the ACC in six years, I think that's a good spot to be in. And I think people will be happy with that. Yeah, I definitely agree. And I think that, um, you know, when you look at, at long-term what they're, what they're building, I think that having money for staff is going to be just as important as paying him because uh, you see how he's recruiting, right? I mean, it's every staff. He's relying on guys like Court Dennis and Derek Nicholson, Gunnar Brewer to go out and close on players. And, and if you can't pay guys like that, you're going to end up with the LD Scotts of the world and the Nick Petrinos. And I don't mean to throw those guys under the bus, but like, it is like, oh, there's, a clear, there's a clear discrepancy of coaching and, uh, and what happens when you have to pay people, you know, and we, we've seen that, right? So we, we know what that looks like. Mike, I want to ask you, uh, Missouri State, what, what do you think their record's going to be this year if you just had to spitball a record out? It's year one, so it's probably going to be pretty good. Um, <laughs> we'll, go, we'll go eight and four. Eight, I, eight I, and four for the Bears. 
I would not be shocked if he if he does that, right? Because it was six and six at Western Kentucky the one year he was there, and then he parlays it to a little job. And I would not be shocked if somebody goes and in the SEC, somebody gets desperate and goes out and hires a body Petrino, and we all get to laugh at them for the way that that's going to crumble down. And it would be nice. I really I, to laugh at somebody else at body Petrino's expense would be fantastic right now. Um, so, I, but I want to move into the last topic of the night. This is a this is a interesting thing here, Mike. I feel like this is right up your alley. We asked uh, our Twitter followers today the best duo in Louisville sports history because, let's be honest, we haven't had a duo like you two on our show yet. Uh, Keith has been on a lot, and Keith is great by himself. But if you get Keith and Mike at the same time, it's a different ballgame. So I want to ask everybody this question. Mike, I'll start with you. Your favorite duo of all time across all sports, Louisville sports history? Uh, Chris Kurt and Brad Giannini. I uh, knew you were going to say that, man. Fantastic. I swear I knew you were going to say that. So the, the first time I ever – I'd met uh, Chris Kern a few times. We actually we – were, we were the same age. He grew up in Frankfurt. We played baseball against each other growing up. So I, I knew – I'd run into him a couple of times. God, the first time I was ever with them together, I was very intoxicated. And I was like – I acted like it was something that I didn't want to know. I acted like it was my buddy's question. I'm like, he always wanted to know who was the better of, of the two of you hoping that they would do like the buddy comedy fight thing. And they hundred percent did. They were like every stereotype you could imagine. They're like, I would, I would take him right to the rack. I would post you up. It was everything that I wanted it to be and more. They were the best duo of all time. That, that's a great, so it's a funny story. My wife or my, my sister works with uh, Chris Curran's wife and my brother-in-law, he, my brother-in-law was a manager, was a student a manager on the team the year that Brad Giannini was there. Like two weeks ago, he showed up to the pool wearing a game-worn Brad Giannini jersey with a signature on it. I'm like, man, it doesn't get any better than this. Flex. Like you, you have flexed all time at a, at a level that no one can ever get to. Keith, favorite duo of all time at Louisville Sports History? I don't know. I don't have funny ones like that. My, my favorite was actually – I, I love watching Teddy and Eli back in the day. Like third downs when Teddy and Eli were playing together was just automatic. I, I, used to, I just love that. And I love their backstory. I don't know, like those guys growing up being friends and, and you know, Teddy helping Eli out when he when his family had hard times. I always thought that was really cool. And then to see them play in college and, like, Teddy be a, you know, like, no matter what, it's third down, they need a first down. He's looking Eli's way. And I feel like Eli Rogers had a very underrated career here, like, personally. I, I, he was one of my favorite guys. So I always like watching those guys play together and, and – just that when we talk, when you talk about combos, you, you look at guys relying on each other, I guess, is the way I kind of look at it. And, you know, to me, those those big plays that you need, you always go to Eli. He always made the play. So uh, that was my favorite group. Because, I mean, Teddy's probably my favorite Louisville player ever. So I had to go with him and, and, and Eli, I guess. The best duo for stories, without question, was when Earl Clark and Derek Character were both here together. I mean, if you, if you knew anybody that was around the program in – from like 07 to 09, there was uh, the character Clark stories were just the all time best. And it was like, there's a scene in hoop dreams where when uh, Arthur AG transfers to the other school, the coach and he's got his best friend, Shannon. They're always like, they live together. And the coach is like, Shannon's not on the basketball team anymore. He's like, we had them both on the basketball team. We could only have one. Shannon's a little <laughs> Shannon had to go. Like that was what Rick Pitino did with Derek character. He's like, he's like, we can't have Earl and Derek on the same team at the same time. Derek's got to go. And Earl was fantastic after. Apparently, he was very straight. I think Derek character leaving Louisville put Earl Clark on the best possible path. He's been – he's had a fantastic life ever since. He had Earl Sanity uh, in L.A. He's a millionaire. He's got uh, a beautiful wife. He's got great kids. He's living the life. And I think it's all due to the fact that we sent Derek character's ass to UTEP. And we're like, no more. <laughs> got to go. 
my my favorite favorite thing about Derek character my sister told me this story when she she was in college the years that Derek character was there and they had a house party and Derek character showed up to and Derek character had a line of girls wanting to take pictures with him standing on chairs like that was his thing he liked to take <laughs> pictures with girls standing on chairs and I thought that was the weirdest thing but so Derek character like I can't think of anything more Derek character than that Presley who is your favorite duo of all time I mean, it, it was tough for me to really settle on this. I mean, you got Mike and Bompy. You got Steve Cragthorpe. <laughs> you got Steve Cragthorpe in his Waffle House menu. I actually had a funny story, Mike. So you and Danny, about you and Danny being a good duo. So my dad actually has season tickets um, to basketball games. I sit with him five or six times a year. And I happened to sit down in my seats one, one time. And somebody next to me was like, oh, you, you have a podcast, right? She was like, that lady sitting next to you, her son has a podcast. And I was like, Oh, does your son have a podcast? And she was like, yeah, have you ever heard of card Chronicle? And I was like, well, no shit. Yeah, of course. I've heard of <laughs> and she was in, uh, she was like, Oh yeah. Well, my son hosts the, the podcast. And I was like, like immediately was like, Oh, nice Mike. And she was like, no, just Danny. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like Kim. Shout out to Kim Sonard. We love you. So, I'm, I, I apologize to Danny for that one. I'm sure he's not going to live that down now. But the way she said it, like she was just so dejected that it was just Danny. Just Danny. Great story. Oh, that's great. That's but wonderful. I, I, don't, I, I, I mean, Russ and Peyton is hard to beat as yeah. far as as far as duos go. Um, so and it, I think that's the number one answer we got. Um, or I would go with Russ and, and Coach Patino because I think that, that like you guys talking about all of your – children changing your lives i feel like russ smith changed rick patino's life um so that would be an underrated one for me but but uh russ, russ and paid i had every, changed all of our lives changed he all really did and i had every thought that darius perry was going to be that for for rick patino and then was going to be that for chris mack and it just went the exact opposite of russ smith like russ smith was so fun and playful and then when darius did it be like oh man like you shouldn't do that you're it's not <laughs> it's not as fun when you do it like there's something about that but Alex what do you think best duo of all time for you well, I was gonna say Darius Perry and Chris Mack but I guess now that's <laughs> off the table so whatever but, uh, no first I, I just want to I just want to let you know uh WK you finished third uh in their conference that year and they went eight and four uh the one year Petrina was there so a little correction on your six and six bullshit I just <laughs> but um <laughs> I would have to go growing up. What really got me into Louisville football was just the Brian Brom, uh, Michael Bush combo. I think, I think seeing that as a kid was amazing. Uh, and just seeing Michael Bush just truck people. Like it, it was insane. Like that was by far uh, the, the guy I was obsessed with and wanted to go back to Louisville football games time and time again to watch him. Uh, but yeah, so those are my two. I don't have a funny story uh, to back that up, but it's a little more uh, childhood nostalgic. Well, that was my old moment because I played against Michael Bush when he was a freshman in high school and I was a senior. So, you know, you <laughs> watching him as a child, uh, obviously, you know, makes me pretty damn old. So, appreciate that. Thanks. All right. So, I'm going to go a little old school. Uh, I was going to say my, my favorite duo that I've ever watched is Earl Clark and Terrence Williams. Like, those, those two have a place in my heart that no other Louisville duo, not even Peyton and Russ, could get to. I don't know why. I think it's just the fact that I love Terrence Williams. No matter how many bad stories I hear, I don't care. Like, it just is what it is. But, I, but Mike, thank you so much for joining the show. It's been a lot of fun. The least serious episode, the most cussing we've ever done. I, Mom, I am so sorry. I said I wouldn't cuss on the podcast. I had to. It is what it is. Blame Mike. 
Uh, but Mike, thank you, Keith. Thank you so much. Uh, it's been a great show, and we got to do this again. Absolutely. To be fair, I, I asked before we got started. Was my only question was <laughs> how explicit am I? Like, you should have said like, no, my mom listens to this. I'm not gonna. I, I fucked the whole thing up for you guys. Yeah, I well, look, Presley, like I said, Presley before he said, if Mike doesn't say ass ten times, we're not doing this again. I haven't said it so once. I don't think I've said. No, I, actually, I said we sent our Derek character's ass to UTEP, so I, I've said it at least once. Okay, I have one more question, Mike. One okay. more question. What is your favorite call-in moment on Talk Sports Radio? Because you get so many random calls. Like, what is your favorite call that, like, you will forever remember? I thought you were going to go with the time that I got reprimanded for saying uh, boner five times in, the <laughs> 80s, in an 80s robot voice in the span of, like, three minutes. Like, I had to do these modules. They like, you have to take, like, a behavior thing where you just, like, you know, everybody does it for work. And you kind of just sit there for 15 minutes until it stops and you click next. Like I had to do that because I said boner, like, like in a robot voice three different <laughs> times and somebody called and complained. Um, best call. God, there was the one day where I hosted by myself. Uh, John was out somewhere and somehow with me hosting like way younger, not in my wheelhouse at all. It devolved into a toy tiger story show <laughs> where people like 50 something men just called in reliving their glory days that. from the toy. Yeah, yeah it was, definitely it, remember that. Cause like I would try to shift the topic seamlessly. I'd be like, we actually have some recruiting talk to get to or like, and somebody be like, oh, I, I actually know the Jeff they were talking about that worked at the toy tiger. And let me tell you, they ain't saying half the stuff that went on. I was like, Oh my, I, like, I'm, I'm 33 at this point. Like, I don't know. I, I never went to the toy tiger. I don't know what was going on. That whole show. If you can find in the archives, well, I guarantee you can't anymore, but if you could, it was a, it was the biggest clusterfuck that ever happened on that show. And I just sat there and listened to everybody tell toy tiger stories for the last two hours of the show. Did you, okay, let me ask you this. Did you ever have a moment where you're, you and John are in the booth specifically at iHeart, right? Cause I remember that booth. It's in the hallway. It's right across from 840. There's a lot of traffic in there. Did you ever have an executive stop and just stare into the window at you for something that they had heard on the air in there? Cause you know, those guys, the program directors, the executives, they all listen to every show in their office. I don't know if you know that, but you would walk in and at any given time they're listening to what's on. Did you ever have a moment where an executive was outside waiting for you to go on a commercial break to talk to you? I did. Um, <laughs> so shocked. Like this is my shocked face. If you can't tell, I, I don't think I can tell half these stories. Like, I feel like I, there's some that I can, I probably shouldn't. I, I did. I'll answer the question that way. I also didn't stand up to shake Matt Bevin's hand when he came in one time. And I heard about that. Like that was, I mean, I talked about it on air right after it happened. So that, that happened as well. So that was a lot of good times. I, I, the whole part about fitting in definitely there was, there was some of that. It, it, it's, uh, that. That's great. But again, thank you for joining the show, Keith. Same to you. I uh, hope to have you guys back on soon. And thank you guys for tuning in and listening.